Well, hello, everybody. Great to be with you. Uh, my name is Alex Graman. I am the campus pastor over at our Torrance location. In fact, we're connected live right now with Torrance. Uh, so, so glad we can be connected. Would you guys, can we give them a hand for Torrance? They- very dutiful of you. Thank you for that. They always applaud for themselves really loudly every single week, so that's exciting. Uh, so that actually added to the fun there. And hey, listen, if you're watching this online, thank you so much for connecting with us. Uh, I know that some of you are watching this live right as we do it, and others are catching up during the week. Either way, so glad we can all be together right now for today's message. Uh, hey, we are finishing up today. We're here at the tail end of a four-week series uh, that's been called Conversations Along the Continuum. And during the series, we have been over and over using a diagram that we often use uh, internally here at Journey of Faith. And here's what it looks like. This is the continuum uh, of note. And for some of you, you're like, yes, it's been four weeks. We get it. We've seen it a million times. Uh, I just want to thank you. If you have been here for the four weeks, we have heard so many great conversations happening with this as common language, people identifying where they are on this diagram, or even better still, identifying where their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers might be, and the best way to help them. Uh, if you haven't been with it, haven't been with us, let me just give you a quick overview that this diagram really represents the whole spectrum of spiritual experience and interest that every person might in, in the South Bay might have. And so on this chart, a negative five on this side would be someone who is ardently, uh, argumentatively against having a spiritual conversation. They have no spiritual interest. Uh, they do not want to discuss anything spiritual. We, we've said this before, but really the truth is that true negative fives are very rare. Uh, and instead, most people in our community fall into sort of this range here where it's negative four to negative one. That's the range in which people might start having a spiritual interest, want something uh, to pursue truth in their own lives in a spiritual way. And as they get closer to that negative two, negative one is when that might center around Jesus, specifically uh, looking into Christianity, looking into faith uh, topics. And then at zero, zero represents something who's, someone who's making that decision to follow Jesus with their lives, receive his forgiveness, become a Christian, and receive his guidance. And then the positive side of this is the continual growth uh, that Christians experience step by step as we get to know God more and experience him. Five would be utter perfection reserved for Jesus alone. <laughs> really, between zero and five is uh, an eternity of experience of us growing more like Jesus uh, in connection with him forever. Now, again, the question is, where are you on this chart and how can we all be moving towards Jesus, becoming more like him? But specifically for this series, we have been focusing in this range because a bulk of the people in the South Bay, the people we know, the people we love, our neighbors, our coworkers, fall into that range where they are pursuing spiritual truth in their lives. And we have the opportunity as their friends, people who care about them, to have great spiritual conversations. In fact, we've, we've been rooting this entire series in this verse that comes from uh, one of Jesus' disciples, a great friend of his, Peter, in the book of 1 Peter. He's talking about Christians, and he says, you all must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Now, this isn't a, hey, if someone attacks your faith, be ready to be defensive uh, and defend your faith. Instead, this is a very much a forward-moving, a missional statement of be ready for that moment where you are able to share positively about what God is doing in your life so that there can be missional benefits, so that someone can be invited into the love of God. And so 
by this verse, we're inspired to say, hey, one of the things that we are meant to be up to, part of our call as Christians, as believers, is that we would be prepped, that we would have done our homework to be able to speak the language of those around us and be understandable. We can have spiritual conversations. They might be scary, might take some boldness. Uh, We might have to actually bring it up in ourselves and trust God to allow us to have those conversations, but we can do this. We've talked about we can have spiritual conversations about the Bible or about God or about the church. Well, today, here's our main point centered around Christian living. We can have great spiritual conversations about the Christian life. It is so vital for us to know what the differences are between the normal life and what Christians might be called to that is different. Doesn't mean we're always successful in living out those differences, but it is impossible for us to say to someone, hey, we're exactly the same. If you're a believer or you're not a believer, there are fundamental differences in how we are called to live life. How do we explain that? Maybe another way to think about this would be, if we're inviting someone to become a a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, what life are we inviting them into? What are the differences in the Christian life? Uh, I wanna tell you about uh, a time of learning big differences in my life happened when I was 13 years old. Uh, I've told this story before, so you might recognize it. It's about a trip I was able to take as a young man to the country of Albania. Do we have any Albanians in the, no? Okay, yeah, it's a pretty small country. (laughs) Thought that was a good shot here in Los Angeles. Um, When I was 13, well, actually, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are both missionaries. They work with a company called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a ministry to college students in the United States and around the world. Uh, so all of their missions work has been to college campuses, and it's been wonderful to grow up in that household and then be able to experience some of those trips along with them around the world. Uh, when I was 13, it was around 1989, 1990, and the world changed uh, in a lot of ways because of the fall of communism. Uh, the, there are certain countries especially in Eastern Europe, that area, that had been completely closed off to missionary work, to religion, for quite a while, and Albania was one of them. Uh, If you don't know where Albania is, like, imagine this is the boot of Italy. Can you think of this as the boot of Italy? Right behind the boot, if you go across the Adriatic Sea, that's where Albania sits. For 45 years, from 1945 to 1990, Albania was completely closed. It was the first country in the world to declare themselves completely isolated and completely atheist. During that time, they wanted to be self-sufficient. It didn't work very well. Uh, The country was really struggling under communism and the other forms of government to the point where when communism fell in Eastern Europe in 1989-1990, Albania did a complete about-face. They threw wide their gates to religion, to other uh, Westerners, and our our family took advantage of that moment to take some college students to the Capital City University to share God's love and do a cultural exchange. Um, Here's a picture of my brother. He was 14 at the time in Albania. It's a little blurry because every picture in 1990 was a little blurry. That's just how we lived our lives. Uh, I was 13, he was 14, uh, so I probably took this picture. You can see the country was in dire straits. This is, uh, you can see, I know it's a little blurry, but the broken down buildings, the with the glass broken out, these, uh, these glitters here are piles of garbage. They didn't have at that point a garbage system, a collection system, so people, when they were done with things, would just literally throw the trash out their front windows uh, and it would just stay there. Now, since they opened up, the systems have come leaps and bounds beyond where they were, um, but, but so it's a different world that we were visiting in, uh, in 1990. Uh, but it was a 
rough system. Now, we weren't there to judge their lack of social systems. Uh, We were not even there to really compare our social systems, but really just to share God's love and connect with these Albanian students. But while we were there, I got to, we got to intersect with, there are small areas of culture in Albania that have one of the most unique differences in the way they operate that I have ever seen, specifically around their head gestures, the gestures they use with their heads. Here it is. In our culture, when I go like this, what does this mean? Yes. In Albania, this is a signal of no. For these, small, for these small pockets of culture. So if you were talking to someone from one of these regions and you were agreeing with them, oh, okay, yes, yes, they would think you're being a jerk and saying, no, no, what, I can't believe you're crazy. I can't believe you're saying this. And then if this means no, what does this mean? You'd think that might be the case. That's not the case. That, that doesn't always mean yes. Instead, there's a different head gesture. I've been practicing this all week. It's more like a, an upwards head wobble up. That means yes. So if you're agreeing with someone in conversation, you would, you know, every once in a while, you'd give them an upward head wobble. Now, as a young man, even today, it sticks out to me from that experience of how drastic the change is from the norm, from what I am used to, and trying to rewire my brain, even in telling that story and thinking which one is which in my life, is a mental challenge. It takes thought to make these big changes. I want to tell you that that beautiful cultural difference that existed in pockets in Albania is the same kind of gulf, the same kind of challenge to overcome as someone stepping into a lot of the Christian things that if you've been a Christian a while, you think are normal, that we think are normal. Some of you are in that process where you've just begun a relationship with God, you're taking steps of faith, and you know what I'm talking about. There are things that Christians do in the Christian living world that are like, you, that's, what, that's how you handle yourselves? Let me give you just a few examples. Here's one of them. Attending church on Sunday mornings. This has been a pattern of the church for the past couple thousand years. Do you know how odd this is to the rest of culture? There is a bulk of non-religious or religious non-practicing people who, you know what they do on Sunday mornings? Nothing. Something else. They certainly don't go to the same exact place every single week dutifully. Now, congratulations. I'm so happy that you are here. You did it. Uh, But Other people do things like go to brunch. You're missing brunch right now. Right now you could be eating brunch. Or they they take their kids to tournaments or they, they do some lawn work or a project in the garage or they sleep in. When you become a Christian, a lot of people are like, yes, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I understand his love. I need his forgiveness in my life. And then we're like, great, I'll see you at church for the rest of your life every Sunday. And they're like, what? <laughs> what did I get myself into? That is a significant difference that is part of the norm that we need to recognize is a, hey, okay, how do we help people make that mental transition of like, well, their Sunday just went like, Bloop. well, not really, because what they'll find is the connection and glory that we get to give God is worth it, but it is a mental shift is the point I'm trying to make. Here's another one, singing to someone. When we worship, we stand together, we bring glory to God by singing to God. 
Now that might seem very normal to us churchgoers, but do you rec- I need you to recognize we almost nowhere else in our culture sing directly to someone. Maybe a lullaby when our kids are going to bed when they're little, but even if we go to a concert, you know, you're not singing to the person, you're singing along with the person. In worship, we are singing directly. To- Have you ever seen someone sing directly to another person? It's very awkward. <laughs> I was at a restaurant a while ago and there was a teenage couple who I, I was not was on a date. It wasn't going very well. Uh, they were down the way from us. Got to, got to watch this in, in real time. In the middle of the date, the, the guy pulls out an acoustic guitar in the restaurant and starts singing this young lady a love song he wrote for her. It was one of the most socially awkward things I've ever seen in my life, especially because the song wasn't very good and the young woman seemed to agree with that assessment. Um, it did not go well. Singing, watching someone sing to someone else, ugh, keep it to yourself, except at church. We're like, let's all do this thing together. That's odd. It takes a mental shift to get used to, oh, when I sing, when I pray, I am Someone is the recipient. God is the literal recipient. It's an odd thing. Here's one that's a little more deep, I think. Being honest with people about your problems. We live in a culture where this is anathema. This is crazy talk. You don't tell people your actual vulnerabilities, except at church. We encourage you, by the way, if you're new, not on Sunday mornings. Please don't tell me all your problems. This isn't the time for it. But um, we do encourage people to get together throughout the week in small groups of people where you would truly share life with people who can encourage you and support you and be there when you're going through challenge. That takes vulnerability. It takes authenticity and honesty that goes definitely beyond the range that normally happens in life. In fact, we were doing a a Start Your Journey class last year. There was this wonderful woman there who said, she, she was like, I have never considered sharing these parts of my life until I joined this group. It was an incredibly beautiful thing for her to say. And then someone else who was nearby said, he was like, yeah, I agree. The only other place I do anything like this is at my AA meetings. Uh, And I thought it was such a wise connection for him to make because in social society, we don't go around saying, hey, uh, thank you for checking my groceries out. Also, can I tell you that I'm struggling in my marriage? I hope you don't do that, but please don't do that. Instead, how can we support each other as Christians is a common question. These are only three surfacey things. The, the difference between the Christian life and the other life that we've had goes way, should go way beyond these surface level church participation things. In fact, let me put that as our first point, at least in a positive way. We need to recognize that there are differences between normal life and the Christian life. If we're going to explain what we're inviting people into, we have to be cognizant of the differences. In fact, there's a very famous verse from uh, the missionary Paul. Uh, He was one of the first Christian missionaries in the Bible. Here's what he says about what it means to be a Christian. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, an entirely new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. He's talking about us completely turning over the leadership of our lives to God that we no longer are the same because we have completely, supposedly different motivations, a different purpose, a different goal in mind. In some ways, we live upside down because in a world that tells us that you, that I am the most important, that I am the main player, the main character in my story, God tells us that's not the case. Who is the main character of the Christian life? It's God. And then second 
to God, even still before us, are others, especially those in need. So we live a life that is intended by the ideal for us to be God-focused, to be others-focused, and then to think about ourselves. That is, that is so different. I, I need us to recognize that it's different. How are we going to explain those differences? How should we talk about those with other people? At le- not what we're succeeding in, but what we're aiming towards. Well, we've gone, done this a couple times in our time over the past couple weeks, but I do want to show you what our statement of faith here at Journey. We do have a document that explains uh, some of our key core values. Number eight, the final one in this statement of faith that you can read online is this, Christian living. And it says this, we believe everyone who follows Jesus should devote their lives to actively loving God and loving others. They should strive to be faithful in God's ways as revealed in scripture. They should be wise stewards of their possessions, gifts, and abilities, and sacrificially love people as Jesus does, and work together to experience the rich and meaningful life God intends for all of humanity. And there's some scripture references that I'd love for you to look up. Here we're talking about what those dramatic differences are, what they should look like. We are calling them out. This is actually a new, recent addition to our statement of faith because we felt like it was vital to say it's not just our belief system that should be different, it's actually how we should live our lives out in response to God's love and forgiveness. Now, thankfully, we have a great picture of this in the Bible. We have a scriptural example of the very first Christians who were trying to live this out that we can see as a guide for us. Uh, It comes specifically from the Bible book of Acts. In Acts, it begins with Jesus's, Jesus has just been resurrected. Right before the book of Acts, Jesus dies on the cross to take the punishment that all of us deserve for the things we've done wrong. Three days later, he raises himself back to life, God's power. He is alive again. He's still alive today. After he is resurrected, he spends a short season with his disciples, reveals himself as resurrected to hundreds of people, and then he gathers all of his followers on a mountain to give them one last piece of guidance. And he says to them, listen, you're not going to know what to do, but I am going to go now to heaven and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you into the most important steps for Christian living. Now, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what Jesus says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. Then he ascends to heaven. The disciples are looking around, what, okay, now Jesus is gone. They obey him, they huddle together. At that point, there is a little over 100 people who are followers of Jesus, that's it. These 100 people huddle together, they obey, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Here's the story of how this Holy Spirit arrives. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where all of them were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem where they were. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. God's first miracle under the power of the Holy Spirit infused into the believers was to give them voice to be the most clear to their community about God's love. 
to use it missionally to make sure they could be as clear as possible in their communication. It is not too on the nose to tell you that is exactly what we are trying to reaccomplish in our church by doing this conversations along the continuum series. We are trying to live out that same legacy by receiving the Holy Spirit's empowerment so that we might be the most clear to the people in our community. Now, I really don't think... I'm going to leave it open to possibility. Probably will not include tongues of flame landing on you. That will be a different experience. Tell me if that happens. That would be amazing. Holy Spirit's capable of it. But for right now, let's not wait for the flames. The Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, wants to be active in you right now to have great spiritual conversations, to go out empowered by him and be that his voice of love to the people in a clear way. After that moment where the believers share in a clear way, their numbers go through the roof. In one day, they go from a little over 100 people to 3,000 believers in Jesus. In that moment, their questions change. When they're a little under 100, around 100, they can just day by day kind of figure things out. Now they've got 3,000 people who are saying, okay, how do we live? How are we gonna do this Christian, Jesus-following, Holy Spirit-empowered life? Thank goodness, again, in the book of Acts, we have a picture that's become sort of an ideal that describes the way they started as the first church. So let me read some of this to you. I've highlighted some things of decisions they made that said this defines the Christian life. Let me show you what it is. All the believers from then on devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, the four things we've highlighted here They're all still active in our church right now, today. We are still devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing when we're reading from the Bible, when we're learning from these messages. We love fellowship, being together and supporting one another. Uh, We share in meals. I hope you have a meal or two with people, especially the Lord's Supper. We call that communion when we celebrate that together. And we do a lot of praying, even in our services and out of our services. These, I think, in this description of the first church, are things that we are very comfortable with. We'd say, okay, those are parts of the Christian life that I can describe. You need to know, though, this is just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) The the scripture goes on to describe other decisions these early Christians made. I've highlighted more. Let's, Let's take a look at that. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. One more, they worship together at the temple each day, not just on Sundays, <laughs> they're going every day, imagine that. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I hope you see at least a couple examples that go way beyond. Uh, by the way, I am not announcing a new sell your property and give, give the money away. That would be on you. Maybe that's next week, not this week. <laughs> okay. I am saying we must take inspiration from what these early followers of Jesus did because they certainly lived differently. In fact, they lived counter-culturally. Someone of their time who read that description wouldn't say, oh, that sounds nice. They'd say, they did what? <laughs> they, went, they really focused so much they wanted wanted to get together every day. They sold their property. This is a great South Bay message, isn't it? What a challenge that they gave up their property in order to do that. In fact, I want to give you one, at least one of the reasons why they did this. Here it is. The first Christians operated this way because it was countercultural in their time. 
They didn't just randomly choose how they might live their lives. Some of this was likely strategic to purposely be countercultural to the norms of the day. For instance, I've already mentioned it, the property issue of selling their property. The Roman government was very big in promoting private ownership of property. That was one of their societal tenets of wanting to promote private ownership. That was a wonderful thing for the Roman government and people of means who could buy property. But the Christians, who had just grown to a number of 3,000, represented the spectrum of income, not just people of means. In fact, they have a heavy focus on people in dire need and on the poorer areas of that spectrum. For the Christian life, private ownership could no longer be the ideal. Instead, they chose to live counter to the Roman government promotion of private ownership and instead say, hey, we have a higher calling. Our higher calling is equity. Our higher calling is helping people in need. So they were so bold as to sell their possessions in order to share, to equal things out so that no one could be in a different class of believer. It's shocking how cultural they are. Now again, I'm not saying that we're going to start that program today. What I am saying is we must be inspired to match them in our culture. What is it in our culture that would we could do with the love of God that would make us stick out? I have a theory that's not very hidden, that we are amazingly good at blending in as Christians. We're incredible at not peeking our head above water so that no one really knows. We, we watch the same things, we consume the same things, we buy the same things, we have the same motivations of personal gain and a good uh, place to live and a great job and a perfect family. We, we have, and some of those are, we're fine with as long as they are not outright sin. That sounds harmless, but we are missing out by living so culturally instead of counterculturally. Now, by the way, I'm not saying, well, I am. I'm saying be a rebel with God's love. Do something incredibly different by being overly forgiving. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? I'm talking about being something different for the sake of God. We're missing out on a tool because we're not doing it. Here's, Here's the tool that I'm talking about. If we live like everyone else, no one will ever ask us why. Remember the verse that we've been reading first from, from, from the book of First Peter says, when someone asks you the reason for your faith, be ready to answer. Some of you guys, we just need to, we need to talk about it. For some of us, we've been sitting in this series and we are like, hey, these pastors keep telling us that people are gonna ask us about our faith. No one's ever asked me about my faith. I want to suggest boldly and caringly that for some of us, why would they ask? We look so similar to the culture, there's no reason for anyone to think that I am connected to the God of the universe. That needs to change in me. I need to be showing that I'm directly connected to the creator, God himself, who gave his life. Can't I do the same for others? So let me spin this into a positive. If you find yourself in that boat, we have to live in a way that honors God so that people have a reason to ask you why. We need to take steps to stick out in how good and kind and gentle and thoughtful and forgiving and people of peace that we might be in our culture because those things are strongly countercultural. Uh, I found myself in a moment 
of needing to practice this uh, a couple, couple uh, maybe a month and a half ago. I told you this already, but my wife uh, just graduated with her master's. She's going be, uh, to become a therapist. I'm so happy. We're so proud in our family. So it was such a monumental uh, thing. Anybody who has gone through a master's program knows what a big, giant deal that is, that we, we decided to throw a graduation party, an open house at our apartment. So we invited a lot of friends, and it was like a bunch of people were going to come. And so I went online to uh, Vaughn's. You know, the garage, maybe not, what am I saying? The supermarket. Why can't I think of that word? Uh, the grocery. That's what I meant. The grocery store, Vons. And they have like an online cake designer. And she was like, she was so excited about this cake. She wanted me very specifically the colors and the message on it. And then they have like a little graphic thing. You can design it and it looks so cute. So I went on Vons, did that, sent it right in. And I got the confirmation email of when I should pick it up. And it was like an hour before the party. So it's gotten a little close, but I was like, great, no problem. Uh, so the, the day came. Uh, and I an hour before the party, got everything else set up, and I ran out to Vaughn's to pick up the cake. I had my confirmation email with me. I gave it to the guy at the deli. Uh, he handed it off to another employee who ran in the back to get my cake. She rustled around for about five minutes, <laughs> came back with my confirmation, and was like, no cake. And I was like, well, uh, what t- can you tell me what, what you mean? What, what, tell me again? No, there's no cake. I was like, looking at my, <laughs> looking at my email, like, uh, uh, and then I was like, are you sure? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I mean, what a stupid question. She's the employee. She's for sure. She, I'm sure she looked because how awkward, what, what a brave person she was to come back to me and say, by the way, it turns out they didn't make the cake. Not only that, but the person who makes the cakes wasn't on that day, so they could not make the cake. No cake. And in that moment, cakeless moment, I was feeling all the feelings every other human being does. When your wife says, I really want, the only thing I want is a cake. We have 70 people coming over and I bought a 70 person cake and there's no cake. I I was like frustrated and upset and confused and a little bit scared and not sure what to do in that moment. But I I am a child of God. I am a person who should live counterculturally. And in that moment, I don't always get this right, but God spurred something up in me to at least try to be countercultural. All of the possibilities of normal culture went through my head, and I tried to do something different. I said to the person, oh my gosh, this must be so scary for you <laughs> because you are just as powerless as me, right? I mean, there's no cake, right? There's no cake. And she was like, oh my gosh, you're right, there's no cake. And I was like, what about these? It was like near the 4th of July, so everything was a patriotic cake. I was like, maybe I'll buy all of these patriotic cakes, which I did. I took all these ridiculous America cakes home for the party. And then I was so thankful. I tried to show them over and over how thankful I was because they scurried back to the back and came back out with like a little plastic bag full of like tchotchkes, like a, like little plastic graduation hats to like stick to my patriotic cakes to make look like that it was a graduation cape. And then I was just like, okay, uh, bye, 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 and I left. And then I was overly thankful when the manager called me in the next couple days and gave me a $20 gift card for my troubles. Now, leaving that place, were they like, wow, that person is a follower of Jesus. (laughs) They must know the king of kings. I I want to ask Jesus into my heart. (laughs) Probably not. But I avoided being a Christian Karen. I at least left the door open if I were ever to meet that employee in a church setting or a community setting where she wouldn't be like, uh-oh, you're the guy with freaked out about the cake. Cake man. 
I hope she says cake man, because it would be like, hey, cake man, sorry about that cake again. <laughs> I'm not trying to dog on Vaughn's. Everybody has troubles. But I'm saying, boy, there are plenty of opportunities for us to mess this thing up. And those same amount of opportunities for us to try to be counterculturally different for the sake of Jesus. We can, we, you do not need to go far to find opportunity to serve God and show a little bit more kindness than culturally is norm. Um, so le- again, let me give you this last action step. We gotta let God motivate us to one countercultural response this week. You will have opportunity. Probably not cake related. There's something else. They will double charge your phone bill. They will send you the wrong email. They will cancel something that you were putting your hope in. There, something will go wrong. Someone will let you down and you will have that moment of saying, you know what? I can be, I can be a peace bringer. I can be a hope maker in this situation. Do something countercultural. We gotta do something to bring God's love into the world so that someone might say to you down the road, hey, I did notice you acted a little different. Tell me about that. People do ask those questions. We have to make opportunity. Hey, we're gonna close with a song in a couple seconds. Let's review uh, what we learned before we get there. We said we can have great spiritual conversations about the Christian life. First step, though, is to recognize that there are differences between normal life and the Christian life. And then second, we gotta start living in a way that honors God so that people will have a reason to ask us why. Uh, a couple weeks ago as we were starting the series, uh, I was out in the volunteer huddle. Uh, I don't know, if some of you who are volunteers know this, but before services every week, our volunteers all gather, the ones that were serving on that day, all gather in the courtyard here at Manhattan Beach and a devo- somebody leads a devotional and we all kind of get like, yeah, we're gonna do this for God's glory. Um, so that week it was Pastor Jill, uh, campus pastor here at Manhattan Beach. And she started her devotional by saying, hey, we're starting these conversations along the Continuum series. And then she said, we do this kind of series every year to remind us, to be, help the congregation be inspired to have great spiritual conversations. And I was standing in this huddle and just hearing her say out loud the strategy of, yeah, we do this every year so that we could have great conversations. For some reason, her vocalizing it, I was really like, we do do that. That is why we're, thank you, Jill. Now, I'm the one who writes these things. <laughs> and even I was like, oh yeah, there's a purpose behind it. Now, for me, even being the person who deliver, writes and delivers many of these year by year, it's like, I know why we do this every year. It's for me, it's for us. Because I need the reminder, because I'm barely doing it. And that's a shame, because God has something more. I wanna encourage you, we're gonna do this again next year. <laughs> Call it something a little bit different, show a little bit different diagram, and say, hey, have you been having spiritual discussions with the people in your life? Don't wait 51 weeks to be reminded that we're supposed to have great spiritual conversations with the people we love. God is calling me to that. God is calling us to that today. So that by the time we get to this next year, you would say, I know exactly. Let me share my story of how I had this spiritual discussion because I've been letting God be active in my life to do that. That's the challenge. God wants to do things through his people for, him to sh- for his love to be shared in our community.